What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. I'm Andrew Ivins. That's David Lake. We are back for the first time uh, in about a week. That's kind of the new schedule for us. We're going to talk Miami's junior day, um, talk about the commitments they picked up, some of the kids they got on campus. We're also going to share our thoughts from a loaded seven-on-seven tournament that took place in Miami. We kind of previewed that on the last podcast. We're also going to discuss the storylines for Miami heading into next week's National Signing Day and talk about the portal because that's kind of what we do on every podcast these days. Uh, First off, David, how are you doing heading into a big game weekend, the Super Bowl weekend? Yeah, doing well. I'll say, you know, it is cool seeing – Whenever you put on ESPN or Fox Sports, seeing South Beach highlighted, Miami highlighted uh, with the Super Bowl coverage, definitely cool to see um, that being shown. And and you can see what, you know, everyone raves about the weather. The weather has been great this week. Um, You know, Miami is a beautiful place and Super Bowl should be held in Miami more often, in my opinion. So but yeah, it's pretty cool. How 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 about you? How are you doing? I'm I'm doing good, man. You know, I'm I'm like in the South Florida in Fort Lauderdale, so like I haven't been fully like engulfed in the in the Super Bowl craze, but I think I'm going to do that on on Friday and then uh maybe on on Saturday as well. I'm going to go down to Wynwood, but I'm doing good uh in the middle of a bathroom renovation, which is not fun. Um so that's it's making this a very interesting week, but I'm 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 hanging in there. Yeah, home ownership is fun, right? Right. So let's kind of jump right into this. Let's talk about Junior Day. That was this past weekend, Miami's first real Junior Day of the spring, because uh, I, I I'm fully anticipating them to hold one again, probably in March and maybe even April. David, um, Miami picked up one commitment. I think me and you kind of hinted at this before the junior day even got there that we thought it was going to be different than years past just with the new recruiting protocols in place and uh, the staff kind of discouraging kids from making rash decisions. So um, were you surprised that only one guy kind of made the decision or, or, or went public? I thought it would be – I thought they would take someone. I think – you know, when you get so many guys on campus and if there's a guy that's good enough to commit, why not take it? Um, you know, these recruiting protocols, I am interested to see how how much they do stick to them uh, during this recruiting cycle. Uh, but, you know, look, one one commitment, I don't think that is a fair gauge on the overall success of the junior day. I think it I mean, you can go into this much better than I can because you were actually there covering it. But in my opinion, it seemed like a big success, right? I mean, they got a lot of big time dudes on campus. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Um, You you know, we touched on it a lot in the last podcast. So I'm I'm sure this is kind of us just running our mouths again about the same thing. But this junior day was put together kind of at the last minute. I mean, Miami knew that there was going to be a big seven-on-seven tournament in the area. They knew a lot of out-of-state kids were going to be there. So they said, hey, why not let do something on Sunday? And I thought it was a major success. Now, there wasn't a lot of kids from out of out of 
South Florida that came and visited. It was more local guys and then national guys uh, playing on those seven-on-seven teams. But I thought this was an absolute uh, loaded visitors list. Probably rivaled what they did last February um, during Manny Diaz's first junior day. And I, I think two takeaways for me is, number one, Miami can slap together uh, a recruiting event pretty much any day of the week and get talent out. Uh, yeah. Number two, South Florida and kind of the surrounding areas are absolutely loaded in the class of, of 2021 and 2022. Like there is a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of dudes. Um, and that's either going to be a good thing or a bad thing because if Miami wins games, they're going to get some. And if it goes south, then uh, they're going to miss out on a bunch. The overall vibe um, of the junior day, how would you say it compared to last year's first junior day with Manny Diaz? Uh, you know, obviously last year, the Manny Diaz era was fresh. Everything was new. So it, it was a good vibe. Uh you know, after this six and seven season, maybe it could be different. Maybe it maybe it was still a good vibe. What was your overall impression of the excitement of the junior day from the players that were there? I don't think it didn't feel like this team had lost games to FIU and Louisiana Tech at, at some point in the past two or three months, if if that makes sense. Now, I don't think it was as exciting as hashtag TNM and, and all that crazy stuff. But at the same time, it seems like. Uh, a lot of kids were excited about Miami. Um, I heard Rhett Lashley's name mentioned a lot from offensive recruits. Um, and I'm not just talking about skill players. Like offensive linemen were talking about Rhett Lashley and how they're excited to see his changes. Kids were mentioning Derek King. Uh, his name came up a few different times. And this is what we kind of said Miami needed to do. They, they needed to find a way to flip the script. I mean, we live in a society these days where, where everything's up to the minute and very fast. And um, Miami, you know, was able to just kind of separate itself from what happened in the tail end of the season with Dan Enos and, and generate some excitement. And I, I think we've, we've touched on it before. We've talked about it before. Adding Derek King um, was huge because he's kind of a household brand name that, that recruits know. And I, I, I thought the, the vibe was very good. I mean, I think like one kid told me, and I can't even remember who it was off the top of my head. Uh, maybe it was like Savion Collins, the, the, the four-star defensive tackle commit out of Miami Palmetto. I think he said, yeah, it was pretty much the same thing as last year, but I don't know. I, there was nothing negative. That's a good that, thing, though, I think. Yeah, do you think so? I mean, I don't know. Maybe, I, I guess I kind of took it as a backhanded compliment, but maybe not. So tell me about Garen Justice, too. What... The new offensive line coach, um, Rhett Lashley, brought in. Um, what impression do you feel like he made on the offensive line recruits that were there? Do you get the sense that he will, in fact, be more of a grinder at that position in terms of recruiting compared to what we've seen there with, with the recent offensive line coach coaches? Just overall, what type of recruiter impression did Garen Justice make on the junior day? Um, I'm glad you asked this question because I, I totally forgot something that I was going to tuck in uh, one of my recruiting insiders, but I forgot until now. So uh, the VIP scoop is coming out on the podcast right now. So I was talking to a parent of an offensive line recruit that, that Miami has been after for a while now. And we were kind of talking about how the, the junior day went and, 
they said that they absolutely loved Garen Justice. They said that their son uh, wasn't the biggest fan of, of Butch Berry, didn't think he was the nicest guy, and they think it's a complete uh, 180 with, with Garen Justice, and they're, they're very excited about that. And I, I wasn't even like fishing for that information. Like That information just came to me, and I, I thought that was real interesting that just some parent was so quick to say that about Garen. And I think that's just what he is. I think he's a good recruiter. Um, you know, he's someone who has been the head coach, a head coach at the at the D3 level and the D2 level, and he knows that you have to recruit if you want your program to function. And I, I think Garen's going to do that. I also think the the group alignment he got out for the junior day was was pretty impressive. I mean, there was probably I would say four or five legitimate Power Five offense alignment from South Florida there. And we know how Butch Berry operated. I mean, he was very picky about certain kids. He didn't like Jonathan Dennis, um, the kid from South Dade who ended up signing with, with Oregon. And, I mean, if you ask me, if Mario Cristobal wants, wants an offensive lineman, like maybe maybe you should be reevaluating kind of your evaluation process. And um, so I, I think it's good. I think that's trending in the right direction. I also think them going spread is going to make it a lot easier to kind of recruit those linemen. Now you don't need the prototypical size. I mean, that's still ideal. You'll take those kids, but you can be a little more, little bit more flexible and take kids who uh, maybe are better run blockers and and stuff like that. So I think he's he's a big addition in that recruiting department, and it's probably going to be a while before we can see it pay off. Um, offensive linemen kind of take a while to make the decision, but once they do, they normally stick. So uh, I think the arrow is trending up when it comes – to that adding uh, talent to that room in South Florida, you know, from year to year, the offensive line talent can be hit or miss in terms of if guys are good enough to play at a, a place like Miami or not. Um, do you feel like this 2021 cycle has a, a fair, fairly good amount of offensive line recruits that can play at Miami? I don't think it's as good as as the 2020 cycle. I mean, 2020 we had Isaiah Walker, Gerald Mincy, Jonathan Dennis, who I just talked talked about, uh, Marlon Martinez, Marcus Dumerville. I mean, those were all guys. Right. I I do think there are some t- there is some talent though um, this year, and it, it's guys that Miami's in on. Um, one kid who I think would be a very good take for Miami and someone who I know is very excited about Miami is Miami Columbus offensive lineman Ryan Rodriguez. He's a kid who who plays tackle for the Explorers, but probably will shift inside at the next level. He visited uh, on Sunday with pretty much his entire family. His mom, his dad was there, his, his grandma was there, and they're big Miami fans, and he was really excited. I, I think that's that's – Miami's in about as good a spot as you could be. I honestly thought there was a chance he was going to make a commitment. So he's one that the the staff seems to be pretty excited about. Michael McLaughlin is, is another kid who, uh, if you follow the recruiting game, you've been on on our site, um, you know, every day. You you know about this kid. He he camped at Miami last summer as a as a tight end. Butch Berry ended up working him out at at at, at tackle. Um, uh, or putting him through offensive tackle drills. I mean, he's a six-seven, like two hundred fifty-pound kid, and he he's getting bigger and bigger. He's playing at Parkman uh, Douglas Stoneman Stoneman Douglas over there. So he's another guy I I think has a as a chance. And um, there there were a few others, but the two 
that that Miami seems to have the most footing with right now are, are Ryan Rodriguez and, and Michael McLaughlin. And I think if you could add two guys like that, get them in the boat, then you can kind of go and nationally recruit or, or recruit other parts of the state and, and find some guys there. You touched on it a little bit, but with the, the commitment Miami did land on the junior day from uh, Miami Northwestern, I guess he's he's a linebacker, is that right? Because uh, yeah, he kind of plays yeah. defensive end in high school, but he's going to transition to linebacker in college. Tell us just what we need to know about Ja'Cory Hammett. He's a, um, I wouldn't even say late bloomer, just kind of one of those kids that, you know, all of a sudden his his junior tape starts making the round, coaches are out on the road, and, and the offers start uh, pouring in. I talked with some people in Miami kind of heading into the junior day visit, and they said they were high on this kid. They weren't sure if they were going to take him if he wanted in, but the decision was made at, at some point on, on Sunday to give him that green light, and he, he went ahead and, and committed on the spot. Um, Ja'Cory, the, the name I keep getting tossed around or keep hearing as a comparison is Samuel Brooks, uh, the freshman linebacker from Miami who ended up starting the walk-on Independence Bowl if you guys remember him in high school, he was at Miami Northwestern as well. He was kind of an edge rusher. Um, you know, he, he he had the knee problems, but he was a guy that, that that would make plays on the edge. And Miami thought, hey, we could transition this guy to to a linebacker in our defense. And so far, so good. We'll see how it kind of plays out over the next couple of years. But Hammett is in the in the same mold as that. And most high schools down here in South Florida, I mean, you take your most athletic linebacker and you put him at defensive end like everyone does that I, you know st thomas aquinas did it with uh Derek wingo those are the guys that make the plays and and that's what jacory hammett kind of does um i think he's got a long frame and uh, one thing that was also said to me by someone on staff is you know we're not concerned as much as we once were about a lack of, of muscle build on a kid. I mean, ideally you want to get those guys that look college ready, but they, they feel pretty good about the strength program right now with, with David Feely and what he's able to do with guys. So I don't think Ja'Cory is someone who's going to come in and, and, and play as a freshman, but he will be one of those guys that they, uh, they try to develop. There was a uh, pretty talented, pretty loaded seven-on-seven seven tournament in Doral uh, over the weekend, too. And Miami got a lot of those guys on campus as well. Maybe not during Sunday's junior day, but at some point during the weekend. Who who would you highlight in terms of guys from that tournament that didn't go on the junior day that Miami still got on campus and you know was able to uh, get some face time with that way? Well, there's three of them, and I think you actually wrote all three of them <laughs> for us on the site. Uh, let's talk about the two at, from Orlando. Dakota Mitchell, who is a safety out of Winter Park. That is the same high school as Miami cornerback signee Marcus Clark. Um, I think he's really talented. Like 24-7 sports has him graded out as a three-star recruit. I, I think he's a four-star kid. His his tape's pretty pretty cool, pretty, pretty yeah. fun to watch. I know you mentioned that before we got on the podcast. So Miami got him on campus Saturday. Um, they seem to be in the thick of things. LSU, Florida definitely are involved in there. Um, but he, he was a big-time name. Another one out of the Orlando area, Christian Leary, a, a wide receiver from Orlando Edgewater, 10-8 um, kid in, in the 100-meter dash, 4-5 on the lasers, 1,000-yard receiver. 
he is a he's got almost like a running back type build uh, for the wide receiver right. position, but I think he's someone that could be extremely effective in Rhett Lashley's offense, running those crossing routes and whatnot. So those are those are two from the Orlando area. I know they're excited about getting on and guys. I'm sure we'll be writing about uh, throughout the next couple of months, really throughout the whole entire recruiting season. And then the third one is an out of state kid, and I don't really know how to pronounce his his first name. So maybe you can help me out here. Yeah, <laughs> it, I think it's Jansen. Yeah, I think it's Jansen as well. He's a kid out of Kentucky that was playing for a team out of Texas. Um, 6'2", 175-pound defensive back, listed as an athlete by 24-7 sports. Uh, like I said, probably more of a defender. I think he could play corner or safety. He was real impressive when I was out there on Saturday watching him. But that is one guy who Miami was pretty fired up uh, about about getting on campus and they think they got a chance with him because his father actually played basketball at Miami I think in uh, what was it uh, like in the 90s yeah, yeah 1994 I think he played one year he was like a juco transfer into Miami he played one year point guard yeah, so someone tried to fact check you because they said they never heard of him and then <laughs> I looked it up on the roster and I'm like yeah there he is uh, so those three and then uh, how could I almost forget the other one uh, Isaiah Johnson, the nation's number one ranked cornerback in the class of 2021, according to 24 seven sports. He, um, visited on Saturday with his mom. I know they spent some time with Mike Rump. He was down in the area because, uh, he's, he's playing for the Miami immortals seven on seven team this weekend. So Miami got him on, I, I think Tennessee, Penn state and Georgia probably, um, are, are the teams to beat, but, but they're in the running for it. And again, we should point out that all these guys at junior day, everyone I've talked about is class of 2021 recruits. So I don't want anyone out there to get confused and think that we're talking about 2021 or 2020s. Excuse me. Yeah. I'll say, you know, Isaiah Johnson, he's definitely, uh, I mean, he's, he's ranked a five-star now. Will he end up being a five-star? No, he'll, he'll, in my opinion, he'll probably be a top 100 player at the end of the cycle. Definitely a long dude, though, like a legit 6'2", long legs, definitely confident guy, too. He plays with a lot of confidence, doesn't mind talking to the other team. Um, I had hoped to catch up with him after the 7-on-7 tournament, but they took a tough loss kind of early in the tournament, and he he didn't want to talk to me, which is fine. That's He can, he can do that. Um, but yeah, I guess you're kind of hearing that he connected pretty well with Mike Rump, or there's action there, or is I that think there's fair a, to say? Yeah, I think enough of a seed has been planted where Miami's going to keep recruiting him. I just, you know, I it's hard to kind of say that Miami's going to get this kid. I, I'll put it like this. I think Miami felt way better this time. I guess, was it this time last year? Maybe it was in, it was in March. Uh, with Keyshawn Lawrence, remember him? He came down. Yeah, yeah. I think they thought they had a better chance with him than they did with Isaiah Johnson. So we'll see if that changes. I just think or believe that the SEC is going to be pretty hard to beat. And I do agree. I mean, he's he's talented. You know, you watch him, and all the armchair analysts love to pick kids apart in these seven on seven type settings. Like he's he's good. I mean, I don't know if he's five star, five star good. Um, yeah, and, he's and a good how to, player how, though. 
And how do we know this? Like me and you, uh, you know, last year we saw Keely Ringo. Like we see Elias Ricks in these seven on seven settings. You can kind of compare them, um, just Kyle kids move and handle themselves. And he's up there. I just don't know if he's one of the best 32 in the country. Who were, who were some of the other seven on seven guys at this tournament that impressed you from what you saw over the weekend? Um, well, we can go local, but one out of area kid I want to talk about who, I mean, again, if you read my work, you guys know I'm like all in on this kid is Eric Gentry. Um, he's a six, six defensive end that was playing for a team out of Philadelphia. I saw him and I'm like, this is Greg Russo. Like this is what Greg Russo looked like, um, when he was playing seven on seven. So they had him kind of working at linebacker and yes. i think in one game he had three batted passes just because he has extremely long arms um you know he's six six but he's probably 210 pounds if it's something like that like he would be a project but i was super intrigued by him and i'm if i'm miami i look at that kid and i say hey why not roll the dice and, and just see kind of what happens and he visited miami on sunday night with his seven on seven team i think he told me the hurricanes are going to um come watch him in the spring so he's he's someone we might talk about down the line but he was one that i don't know i i was like instantly someone was like whoa uh guys does he have big time offers i didn't even look (laughs) uh he's got like maryland arizona state michigan state um some like big 10 stuff oregon's in there you know nothing major but it'll come uh, once yeah you know it's still very early who else impressed you um let's talk like local guys or kind of highlight some local guys i thought braylon brown the wide receiver out of uh chaminade madonna prep he was playing for the south florida express he's a guy who i think he had 800 yards receiving as a junior um but he got dinged up and um so we didn't really get to see much of him but i thought he absolutely dominated or he didn't dominate on on Saturday, but he looked good. And then from what I heard from you and Charles powers, he kind of took it over on, uh, on Sunday, Miami's offered him. I think they have some questions about his speed, but he was kind of intriguing. Another South Florida express wide receiver that, um, I, I really like is Brashard Smith, the kid out of Miami Palmetto. He's currently committed to Florida again. When I was kind of talking about, um, Christian Leary, Get me this kid in, in Rhett Lashley's offense with the ball in space. I, I think he's a, a threat to score. And, and kind of continuing with that theme, um, you'll Keith Brown, a, an athlete out of, of Gulliver Prep. He's another one where you, you get him in space on a crossing route or, or a quick slant, and they're going to score. So th- those are some of the guys that stood out for me. What about you? Yeah, I would definitely agree with Yul Keith. He was a stud, just always open, it seemed like. And and like you said, he can be a guy who picks up a ton of yards on crossing routes. He's also a very good deep threat. Like He has that deep speed and understands how to stack the DB, and he'll, 30, he'll stretch the field too. He had like a 30-yard touchdown catch in the state title game. Yeah. His, yeah. his performance in that was unreal. Like I think he could play on both sides of the ball. He also, yeah, I mean, I was just going to say he played nickel and was batting down passes at nickel in the seven-on tournament. Uh, I think, so two other guys I would want to touch on that are local um, would be 2022 St. Thomas Aquinas quarterback Zion Turner. 
he was impressive to me. I mean, there's still there's still plenty of room to grow and develop. Um, but I think with young quarterbacks, once they start getting into these seven on seven tournaments and season, you see rapid development. And so I think if that happens with Zion, he's going to be an impressive four star ish dual threat quarterback in South Florida for next recruiting site, the 2022 recruiting cycle. So two cycles away. Um, so if I'm a Miami fan, I'm excited about that. I know Rhett Lashley offered him, um, last week, I believe. Yeah. So I, I think there's a lot to like there. Did you like what you saw from him too? Yeah. Uh, two things on Turner. Like you said, first thing, first 2022 quarterback that, um, Lashley is offered when he the offer initially went out. I, I kind of wanted to fact check that. I was just surprised. Then I did some more digging and I saw Zion throw on Saturday and went to his stats. I mean, this kid went 15 and 0 uh, uh, as a starting quarterback as a sophomore at St. Thomas. Yeah. Out around him. Um, but that's still impressive. 25 to 7 uh, touchdown interception ratio. Uh, added 402 rushing yards. Uh, he's pretty impressive. And, and the other thing I like about him is Jimbo Fisher offered him. And if Jimbo Fisher offers a quarterback, then like that's that's kind of one of the things. Yeah, that's what I look for. So the other guy I would I would want to highlight that's from South Florida that I thought did his thing at the tournament is Miami tight end commit Khalil Brantley. Um, you know, I think when you just look at Khalil. And kind of understand he's he's most likely going to be like a hybridish tight end at the college level. You might think, oh, I wish he was a little taller, or oh, I wish he was a little, I don't know, stronger frame. Uh, but I think he it, he's probably what six two and a half, six three, and I think yeah. he can I think he can get to like two thirty pounds of good weight uh, at the college level. But the thing I like about him is he is a, a guy who's quick in short spaces, so he can get open quickly, you know, work in the seam, work in the slot. He's particularly, I think, effective in the red zone. He got a lot of jump ball opportunities at the the tournament, and he won the vast majority of them, so he understands how to go up and grab a ball, like like a rebound in basketball. And I don't know, I think... I think there is some thinking, uh, you know, is he maybe good enough? In my opinion, I think he is good enough. I think he can be productive in a role at Miami. And so I, I was excited by the way he performed at the tournament. Agree on a lot of stuff you said with him. Look, I mean, football is getting to the point where we're not positionless, but positions are being less and less defined. And... I think you just find a way to get Khalil Brantley on the field. Is he a tight end? Is he a wide receiver? I don't really know. He's probably a mix between of that. Um, I hate comparing players that like using a comparison like this, but he's kind of a lot uh, very similar to Larry Hodges, and we still don't know what Larry Hodges is going to be for Miami, but at the same time, Larry Hodges caught two touchdowns against an FCS school and, and looked like someone that should have played all season. Um, other things I like about Khalil Brantley, you know, to me – He's just gets it like he is in, in terms of being a South Florida kid that wants to stay home. And he's someone yeah. that Miami, I think, needs to be in their locker room. I think he's 
can flip a switch and and, and get a little crazy. And like Miami needs that in, in, in some ways. If you guys kind of catch my drift there, and he played at Northwestern, um, you know that's a very pro Miami school. And I think you know every time I've seen him, he's made plays like in in the, the preseason classic uh, against Palm Beach Central. He had a long touchdown. Also caught a touchdown in the state title game, and he's very good in the seven-on-seven setting. So I think I would rank him in the upper half of Miami's current 2021 class. Yeah, um, I, I do think they probably need to get another tight end, maybe a more traditional tight end. But if he's your number two, like things it's, class. Yeah, right. I mean, I don't know if he's he's TE one, but he can definitely be TE two, and you know he's got some Brevin Jordan in him as well. Right. So before we go to break, I just want to ask you real quick, you know, coming off this junior day, 2021 class, all that stuff. Do you can you throw out a name or a few names that you feel like might might be next to commit to Miami that maybe the fans should know about and follow here for the next, I don't know, four to six weeks? Yeah, well, you got to point out that what all of next month is a dead period. So all of right. February, things are going dead. Um, that's why Miami wanted to squeeze in the junior day now. Uh, I, I guess if I had to make a commit watch or, or something like that, the name I definitely would put on there is Ryan Rodriguez. Um, you know, I just mentioned him, the offensive lineman out of Miami Columbus. I think him and his family want to be at Miami, but they weren't ready to make a, not a rash decision or anything like that, or a forced decision, but they just want to see a little bit more, maybe see what other offers Ryan's going to get. But if Miami has a good season and Derek King is what he is and Rhett, Rhett Lashley's offense looks like it, it, it has a pulse, um, then I think he's, he's a guy that eventually could end up at Miami. Uh, another kid, who we, we haven't touched on yet, is, is Tavarish Dawson. He's a corner out of, um, what is he at? He's at Lehigh, Lehigh Acres. Lehigh Acres, yeah. yeah which is that, Lee County? Yes, Lee County, Fort Myers area. That's the home of David Lake. Uh, he, he's a guy that was on campus. We talked about him on the podcast, I think, before. Told me he kind of almost came close to making a commitment, but wanted to come back with with his parents and I think that's what that's almost music to Miami's ears that's what they want under this new re- recruiting protocol they don't want kids making life decisions without mom and dad's approval um so he he's a cornerback recruit he's currently unranked right now I, I think he's a four star or a very high three star yeah uh similar size maybe as to a, to Corey couch but he's he's a lot quicker and I think the upsides there Miami's already seen him two two times during the contact period so he's a priority those those would really be the two i'm sure we'll get a better idea kind of as things shake out but i thought a lot of people want to judge these junior days based on the amount of commitments but i given the circumstances what's in place and everything i, I thought it was a very good very good effort for miami and and, and the staff and just kind of how it went is it fair to say March will be a big time maybe for Miami starting to get more commitments with, you know, spring football is going to get started at some point, uh, either just before March or during March. 
So there's, you know, it's a contact period too. There's going to be a lot more guys on campus seeing spring practices or just getting to more junior days at Miami. Do you expect March to be a bigger month for the 2021 class in terms of getting more commitments? I do. I do. And, you know, we talked about this before me and you got on the podcast. I, I do think March will be a lot more important, but I'm wondering if we see more of a a shift in strategy from the Hurricanes. And, and what do I mean by that? Like, look at these past two cycles. Miami raced out and, and got a bunch of commitments and, and tried to hold on to them. But they're, they're also showing they're not afraid to add guys late that maybe they weren't on uh, as early. Like, I think you want to kind of do what they did with this with this uh, 2020 class in, in terms of getting as many as you can in the boat. But they're going to go try to go big game shopping if they can late. So... We'll see if it comes in in how much how many how many they get in, in into place, but I do do think March will be a lot more active. All right, let's take a quick break, and on the other side, we can get into quarterback recruiting. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, guys, we are back from... Um a advertisement break. Uh, David, thoughts? Or we, I kind of tossed this idea out to you. Do you think we might see Miami sign two quarterbacks in the in the class of 2021? Um, that would be what the first time in three or four years Miami would take two arms. But it seemed like that 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 could be the case. Right. I mean, if you follow Andrew's recruiting write ups daily, I mean how many quarterback offers have been sent out in the last two weeks? It seems like a ton, right? Like is Miami yes. at 10, 10 quarterback offers already? I mean, it's crazy. It's, it's um, not that high. It, it, it's five, five, oh, okay. 20, five, 2021, which is still a lot. Okay. So my take on this, I think Miami should take two quarterbacks. Would I take, uh, two quarterbacks in the 2021 class my answer to that would be no so i would i the way i would go about it is i would take the best high school quarterback recruit i can in 2021 and then you know ideally that would pop at some point in the summer and that gives you time to evaluate what is on your roster you know, during the spring, you can see what Nikosi looks like in this new offense. You can see what Tyler Van Dyke looks like in this new offense. Uh, you can see how they progress during the summer and then also during the fall. And I think if 
you still feel like, okay, moving forward, coming off of the Derek King era, uh, Tyler Van Dyke and Nikosi still quite aren't at the level that we would like at quarterback. I think then you also go for the best graduate transfer in the transfer portal that you can possibly land. Um, and I, I honestly think you have to go with that model until you've hit on a quarterback recruit at the high school level. And that might end up being Tyler Van Dyke. I don't know. We'll see how it goes this spring, summer, and fall with his progress and development. Um, but in my mind, I think you got to work the high school ranks and you got to work the grad transfer market uh, simultaneously. And, and I think the timelines of those work out nicely because I mean, unless you're you're taking like a five-star quarterback who's at the high school level, who's known as being kind of one of the better guys in the country, the expectation of most of these quarterbacks is not going to be to play right away. They understand it'll take a year, maybe two years before they're ready to play at the college level. Um, so long-winded, I would say, yes, they should probably take two arms, um, but... As I said, I would go high school, 2021, best guy you can get. And then after evaluating things, if you feel like Tyler Van Dyke's not ready, Nikosi's not ready, then you go with the you know, graduate transfer option again like they did this year with De'Ara King. All right, a lot to unpack here. So I guess I didn't really lead into that question well. I, one of the reasons why we're, we're discussing this is the amount of volume of offers that have gone out since Lashley's took it over for Danny knows it seems like there's a possibility that they could actually take two arms. The other thing is something that we wrote over the weekend. Um, and that's what we're hearing kind of on the situation with Nikosi Perry. So we know that Jaron Williams has entered the transfer portal. He's, he's gone. Um, I think FIU was a school he was linked to at some point. I, I asked someone I know at FIU if, if that was true. Uh, if they if they were interested and I was told no. So I, I guess I can kill that rumor. Um, but he's gone. He's, he's out the picture. A lot of people are wondering what happens with Nikosi Perry and Tate Martell. Uh, Tate sent a cryptic tweet, I think, at some point um, after Jaron William left, uh, said, saying that he's ready to compete and all that. I, I think the odds of him transferring are, are low, but I wouldn't rule anything out. I mean, you know, he's taking the leaves of absence. And then with Nikosi Perry... From what I've heard, and his social media reflects this, he, he's all in, he's locked in, he's ready to compete uh, with Derek King this spring. Uh, and I think he understands that Derek has never played a full season of football. There's, there's a chance he could be injured at any point, and he would likely be the next man in. What's also interesting with Nikosi Perry is that he doesn't graduate until December. So a lot of people are wondering why he hasn't jump ship or, or anything like that. I mean, if he wants to go somewhere else and he doesn't want to have to sit out, it seems like he can't leave until um, December and he would be a mid-year. But you also got to remember at the same time, if by December, Derek King will be gone and he could enter next with the 2021 season at Miami uh, in a battle with, with Tyler Van Dyke. Um, so that's why we're kind of talking about all this. It's going to be interesting to see just how they manage the arm situation. But I do agree I, if I'm Miami, you, you, or I think any college football program, really, yeah. you always got to be looking yeah. at the, the transfer portal, right? Right. I mean, ideally, if you got it rolling, 
you are hitting on your high school quarterback recruits, of course. Um, but not everyone has that luxury. And so you got to turn to the portal, I think, to get the very best caliber of quarterback you can for your team. So I don't know. I mean, we'll see how it goes with Tyler Van Dyke. I think he definitely has some intriguing maturity about him, some intriguing passing ability. Um, is he the type of athlete that can really operate this Rhett Lashley offense to the highest level? We'll find out this spring. Um, in my mind, Nikosi is best suited to be a high caliber backup. Um, but if if Miami is unable to land a graduate transfer quarterback, maybe he ends up being the best option in 2021. I don't know. But in my mind, you got to work both ends until you feel like you do hit on a high school quarterback recruit. And maybe that'll end up being Tyler Van Dyke. That would be the ideal situation so that you don't have to turn to the transfer portal in December. Yeah. I mean, we're talking a year ahead from now. Um, one thing to also remember is quarterbacks. You can never talk quarterbacks enough. Yeah, quarterbacks sell, dude. I will write about quarterbacks all the time. Tell me uh, this. that is the 2021 quarterback offers that Rhett Lashley is handing out. What is the type, like skill set wise, what type of guys is he going after? Is he going after like Derek King types or is he going after. You know, guys that are athletic enough, but maybe not, not you know, straight up run threats. Or is he going after like pure passers? It's a little bit of everything. So, uh, since he's come on board, they've offered like I, I said, five quarterbacks. Um, it appears that top of the board right now is, is Miller Moss, a kid right outside of Los Angeles uh, in the Mission Hills area. I wrote on Wednesday. The latest kind of the situation with him in Miami, it's, it's worth the click to, to check that out. Uh, Miami's definitely targeting him. Rhett Lashley was there on Wednesday. Manny Diaz was there last week to see him. So he's at the top of the board. He's a guy who can run, but I also think he's a very talented passer. Um, on Tuesday, Lashley offered Aaron McLaughlin. He's a kid out of Georgia, currently committed to Auburn. Um, again, someone I actually saw when he was like an eighth throw in it when he was in eighth grade. Yeah. I think he's more of a passer than a runner then you got these two other guys um demetrius davis who's from houston north shore same school as miami linebacker signee Corey flag he's like a pure athlete run and make plays i mean his numbers are pretty impressive and his tape's fun to watch um so he's on that end of the spectrum and then you have another guy who they offered uh on wednesday ari patu out of Folsom, uh, California. He's kind of in the mold of he can do both. He's like a dual threat talent. So it's kind of hard um, to, to get a grasp of what what Rhett's looking for. I think the biggest thing it, it seems to be is, is arm strength uh, and the ability to be accurate. And if you look at what Shane Bichelle did this past season at yeah. SMU, I mean, he only ran for like 105 yards and, and two touchdowns. So... Um, I think Rhett's not afraid to kind of cater or mold his offense around what he's got at quarterback. And 
Derek King's great for Miami right now because they don't really have that great of an offensive line. So he's a guy that's going to be able to bail them out. But I don't think he's afraid to go after um, the pro-style type guy, which could mean good news for Tyler Van Dyke. Like, I think right. Tyler Van Dyke can do very well in this offense, and I'm excited to see him this spring. Which, uh, so do you think, do you, right now from what you're hearing, do you think Miami will take two arms, or do you think the focus right now is just one arm? Well, I haven't asked yet. Um, this is kind of something that I was just tossing around in my head. I think there's a chance. Uh, if I was them, I would try to get Miller Moss locked up and then kind of go from there. I will say, though, quarterback is quarterback recruiting is kind of getting weird. Not weird, but it's like always evolving. Now we're getting to the point where schools are taking kids you know, after their sophomore seasons. Right. Uh, just because you, you race out to see who you can get. And then there's like a reevaluation process and a reshuffling process. We just saw this Brock Vandergriff, you know, he's a, he's a five-star kid out of, out of Georgia. You know, he was committed to Oklahoma, decommitted. Now he's at, uh, now he's committed to Kirby Smart and the Bulldogs. And like he hasn't even played his senior season yet. It just seems like there, there's so much shuffling. And then you got late bloomers now. CJ Stroud is a kid who just signed with Ohio State. He's a five-star uh, you know, we, we were with Charles Powers over the weekend, a, a national analyst. He's like, I don't think at this time last year, CJ Stroud had one offer. So it's just, it's weird how things kind of change and develop and are, are evolving there. So I think Miami tries to get a kid this spring. And if that doesn't work out, then they'll, they'll rely on a, a, a senior evaluation or bank on you being good and, and, and maybe being able to pull someone in um, after a nine or 10 win season. It might be too soon to know, so if that's the case, then just say. But do you think Miami's going to be able to get any of these guys on campus during, you know, while they're playing spring football? Yeah, I wrote about it, man. Miller Moss, check it out. Okay. I think he's uh, I think there's a good chance he visits. Okay, but no date set. Got to read about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to give away the scoop. All right, so you dropped some scoop over the weekend that a lot of people ran with. Um, yeah, right? <laughs> like, one nugget, and it's like, boom, wildfire. So, Miami, you wrote, is interested in former Michigan receiver Tariq Black, who, very physically talented guy, has had some injuries uh, in his past at Michigan, which has kind of limited his production, but I think there's no doubt that the talent is there. Looks like an NFL receiver in terms of body type. Um, tell us what you know there, just that situation with Miami and him, you know, hitting the portal. When, you know, when would he be able to go to his future school, whatever decision he makes, um, the timeline of it all, and just what, what is Miami thinking with going after a guy like Tariq Black? All right. There's a, there's a lot here. So, Tariq Black, for those unaware, um, class of 2017 kid out of Connecticut, played in the same league as uh, what Tyler Van Dyke's in now, so that New England league. I think he um, played in the Army Bowl, was a big-time recruit. I mean, he took an official visit to Alabama, Was also took, a, took one to Auburn. Notre Dame was in on him. That's when I was covering the Irish. So I kind of knew about him. Uh, he arrived. I don't know if he enrolled early. But I'm pretty sure he was playing as a um, as a true freshman for the Wolverines. Like he caught a touchdown against against Florida, 
in, in that in that game a few years ago, if everyone remembers. Then he just kind of got nag caught in the injury bug. Some other guys kind of passed him up, and I think at some point the decision was just made to to enter the transfer portal. The thing to note with him is he has two years to play too, so he's not a, a, a he's an unusual graduate transfer. Um, he's a very smart kid, like I said. I mean, normally Michigan and Notre Dame kind of target the same kid, and and those are good academic kids. Um, so it's not surprising to see that he's probably going to be graduating, I think, in what is that, three years, three and a yeah. half years or, or something like that. Um, some people I was talking to thought it was like a, a for sure thing that he was going to end up at Boston College. But like I like you said, I, I heard over the weekend that there's been some conversations with Miami. I don't know how serious those conversations ha- have gotten, but I definitely know Tarek is interested in, in, in the Hurricanes. And I think on the last podcast we said that, you know, Miami brought in Keyshawn Smith because they were kind of afraid of, of potentially adding a graduate transfer to the room just because that could make some p- people unhappy. I think if you were to bring in a Tariq Black after after the spring, it's a little bit different. Um, now you're going to know what you have and, and something like that. So the big thing to note is Miami's not done with the portal. Um and they're going to be open to adding someone if they think it makes sense. And I think Tariq is, is a guy that could help you win games in, in 2020. And you really don't know what you have at wide receiver. So this thing could get interesting um, over the next couple of months. I mean, I don't think anything's going to happen you know, right. in, in January or February. But March, April, May, um, it, it could get could get weird. And, and the other thing, too, is we, we touched on this, like, Miami's a lot more appealing now to an offensive kid with right. with Derek King in there. Yeah, I mean, I think, as you said, there's there's a way to go but with this Tariq Black situation in Miami. But I think from his standpoint, uh, Miami would be an attractive option because uh, you look at the depth chart, you know, it wouldn't be all that imposing to him. Probably he, he would want an opportunity where he can come in and, and play right away. The Rhett Lashley offense does a terrific job of highlighting the wide receiver position with, you know, their tempo. Uh, when you play faster, that means there's going to be more opportunities to catch balls. Um, and then, as you touched on, uh, receivers, a lot of their production, of course, is based on quarterback play. Miami has significantly upgraded that position with De'Ara King. So, you know, f- I think it makes sense for both parties, um, but we'll find out. You know, I think a lot of this too will be based on how things look in the spring. Fair to say, like if Miami's receivers click in this offense and it looks tremendous, maybe they don't need to go get Tariq Black. Maybe they search portal options at other positions. But you know, I, I would assume that adding a guy like Tariq Black would be you know, kind of a, a nice little need, a nice little Band-Aid at receiver. Because, as I said, I do think the NFL potential is there with him. I think he's he's got very good speed for a guy that's 6'3", 215 pounds. He has very good 50-50 ball ability. And, you know, that element, honestly, is something I feel like this wide receiver group could use kind of more of a physical guy that can win those one-on-one matchups in the air. 
I'm not necessarily sure Miami has that type of receiver uh, on the roster now. Maybe a Michael Redding down the road can be that guy, um, but I'm not sure he's ready to to be a highly productive college player right now. Um, so all that to say, this is going to be interesting to watch. I think it makes sense. And, you know, for me, this is another reason why I think Miami should, Miami is smart to not try and sign a bunch of high school kids here at the deadline of the 2020 class with the national signing day a week away. I think you want to leave those options open for guys like Tariq Black for potential offensive linemen as well. Right, 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 right. And the other thing with him, uh, I mentioned this already, is he's out of one-year rental. He's got two to play two. So yeah. that's big too. Right. So I guess, uh, you know, I touched on it, but National Signing Day, it's kind of weird because this is the first one I can remember where it's just like, kind of absolutely nothing going on to be honest but tell us what <laughs> tell us what we need to know about the traditional national signing day that takes place in february um next wednesday in, right so you know maybe people who missed the last podcast take them through miami situation the numbers and kind of what to maybe expect going into wednesday uh you first of all you mentioned it like I'm actually making weekend plans before signing day, and that's unreal. <laughs> Normally, yeah. it doesn't work like that, but it, Miami's not even going to have anyone on campus this weekend and, unless there's some crazy uh, development over the next 24 hours. But quick, cra- quick crash course in, in the numbers situation, um, for those ha- who haven't listened to the last podcast when I kind of went over it, when Miami added Derek King and... Um, Quincy Roche last Monday that basically rose their number of counters uh, for this 2020 cycle to 24. Um, Miami signed 18 during the early signing period. They added Keyshawn Smith that is 19. FIU kicker Jose Borgales that is 20. Um, Roche King that's 21 and 22. Then you have Isaiah Dunson the four-star cornerback out of Tucker Georgia uh, he's 23, and then number 24 is Willie Moise, uh, the defensive lineman out of Hollywood Chaminade, Madonna, who's been committed to the Hurricanes forever, uh, but he didn't sign during the early signing period. He's got some uh, some great issues there. So the new NCAA hard cap, or I shouldn't say it's new. This has been in place for a while. You can only take 25 counters a year. Um, there's ways to get to 26, 27, or 28, so I'm sure – Someone's going to go find Alabama's commit list and, and point out that they're they're over the 25. But every school has a, a unique situation. You can you can count guys forward. You can count guys backwards. Miami right now, from my understanding, can't can't count guys back. Um, they could potentially count some guys forward in the summer. But right now, the number is 25. So I just I just ro- rolled off 24 names, um, which means Miami has one spot. Um, there's a chance there's two spots. If uh, they don't sign Willie Moyes, which I think there's a chance that that might not happen. Um, like I said, grades are a major concern. So Miami's entering National Signing Day with two spots. And there's really one name that's in play, and that's Avante Williams, the, the top 24 safety out of uh, DeLand. He's down to Miami and Florida. Canceled the planned trip to Georgia. Former Miami commit, former Oregon commit, 
the cousin of current Florida running back Lorenzo Lingard, who obviously transferred from Miami. A lot of smoke that the Gators are going to be the pick, but Miami feels like they have a fighting chance, and that's because they have a good relationship with uh, with Avante. So he's he's really the only the only question mark heading into Wednesday, and then kind of what happens um, with Willie Moyce, and then Miami's not going to reach to reach. Uh, I, I think one of those spots will probably go to a graduate transfer offensive lineman, and, and then they'll uh, they'll kind of go from there. But yeah, this year. National Signing Day can be a bit different. Yeah, and uh, you know it, it's you touched on it, but Avante Williams, the crystal ball is is kind of trending heavily towards Florida. So we'll see how that how that goes. You know, for the next five or six ga- days, but uh, definitely looking Here, like Florida. Go ahead. Here's my here's my thing on that. Like, look, you know, everyone thinks it's Florida. All right, I mean, uh oh. No, 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 no. I'm just saying, like, if you're a Miami fan, this is how you should enter the day. We expect them to go to Florida, but if Miami somehow f- finds a way to pull it out, it's a, it's a major win. I, I just wouldn't get my hopes up, but I mean, you still gotta see what happens. Sure, and I do think I do think Miami has some. Ha, there's relationships that are there, and it, it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me. I mean, right now I, I'm the lead expert. Mine's on Florida, my crystal ball, but you never know. You know, this this maybe what right. one time it goes the other way for Miami. This is what makes recruiting fun because this thing can flip flop ten times over the next six days. We'll see. But I as you said, I think it is fair to expect Florida. If Miami wins, that is an awesome win, awesome day, awesome surprise. Uh but I would like right now, Thursday morning, I am expecting him to pick Florida. Well, five minutes before we did this podcast, I called him and he told me he wasn't going to do any interviews. So nice. that could be a good thing or that could be a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> He's a Gator lock. Doesn't want to <laughs> talk to that Miami reporter. Anyways, anything else to to touch on um, as we close here? Um, I think that's about it, right? Nothing happening this weekend nope, in terms nope. of visits. We, we forgot one thing, Scott Patchen. Oh, yeah, Scott. So, yeah, Scott uh, hit the transfer portal this weekend. He announced he's going to explore options elsewhere. Um, you know, I'm not going to be the guy who's like, oh, this isn't a big deal. Miami stacked with more athletic defensive ends. Because honestly, I think it does matter somewhat. Like he was going to be a two deep defensive end. And, you know, he's talented enough to be a pretty good backup defensive end, which is what he would have been at Miami. Um, I would assume this transfer was sparked by the addition of Quincy Roche from Temple, who was the AAC defensive player of the year, had 13 sacks last year. Um, so I think if you did ask me, though, you know, would you take that trade off? Yes, of course. I will take Quincy Roche coming in if it means I have to lose Scott Patchen. Um, but, you know, look, again, with all these transfer guys, you wish Scott the best. I certainly understand why he is going to explore other options. I think, you know, he feels like he's a starter and he wants a starter opportunity and he wouldn't be getting that at Miami. So he's going to go find it somewhere else. And, you know, d- in terms of defensive end depth, I think it is impressive. The potential is very impressive. Jalen Phillips. He's got to be. 
yeah, I'm very curious to see how he looks this spring. Uh, he kind of had all fall to regroup, didn't practice football at all, just uh, took the fall to get his body right in the weight room, get his mind right too, um, you know, according to social media, which who knows, he seems in good spirits, in a good place uh, this spring, ready to go. So we will see how that looks because honestly, like, in terms of just physical ability, like, yes, Greg Rousseau is a freak. Jafari Harvey is a freak. But Jalen Phillips is the freakiest of them all with his uh, twitch and running ability. Um, he was the number one overall recruit in the country for a reason, uh, basically just off those physical attributes. Um, so if he hits, then, yeah, losing Scott Patchen will not matter, I guess. Um, and then Jafari Harvey, too, who I'm high on, took a redshirt year. I think he's if he's your fourth defensive end, you have a really good defensive end too deep. Um, so those are just my quick thoughts on Scott. Again, I, I don't understand maybe the backlash, like the feeling with Miami fans of him being terrible, all this stuff. I don't think he is terrible. I think he's a pretty good college player. I think the frustration is that he was played over Greg Rousseau to start the season, but you know that's not Scott's fault. That's the coaching staff making that mistake. Um, and so Scott was very good edge setter, run defender at defensive end. Is he the most athletic pass rusher? No, but he's also not. He's not bad. He's not a bad pass rusher. Um, so, anyways, wish Scott the best. Uh, but overall. Miami's defensive end group is in good shape if Jalen starts to fulfill his massive potential. I'm sticking by my stance that I, I called a year ago, I think. I think Scott Patchen makes an NFL camp. Yeah. I mean, but, no. I think, and, look, and, and, I, here's a hot take. He's not Chad Thomas, but I think he's closer to Chad Thomas in ability than people realize. Go ahead. Oh, no. And I was going to say, like, PFF loved him all season. <laughs> yeah, very good run defender. Like, I don't know. He's six foot six. He is legitimate six foot six. He is 260 pounds, and he's still getting better because he was injured so much uh, early in his UM career. So, again, I'm not going to be that guy who's like, oh, this is not a big deal at all um, because you lost a quality player and you're too deep. Like, would the defensive end group be better with Scott Patchen? No doubt. To make an argument otherwise is ridiculous. But, you know, again, he wants to be a starter. I think he's earned that right somewhere, and he's going to go find it. All right, anything else? That's all I got. We can wrap this up. All right, we will talk to you guys probably before or after signing day. I would assume post-signing day, unless there's some uh, some crazy we'll developments. Yeah, if there's buzz, we'll have one before signing day. But if not, we will we'll talk to you guys after signing day. All right, later. Take care.